Hi, I'm Kat Wiest of Yakima Chief Hops, and this is the Brewer to Brewer podcast from All About Beer. Today, my guest is Melissa Myers of the Good Hop Bottle Shop in Oakland, and she is here for a conversation that goes beyond the brew house and into topics that matter to brewing professionals and curious beer drinkers. Please visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media to support journalism in the beer space. Check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We'll get into the conversation in just a minute, but first, this message. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Discover the advantage of using new and unique ingredients like lemon myrtle or lapsang shushang. First Tea has been working with brewers to introduce distinctive, high-quality botanicals for innovative craft beers. They focus on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsttea.com. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. All right, so I've got a little bit to tell you about my guest today. Melissa Myers has 27 years of experience in the craft beer industry. She started in Philly learning how to brew at a brew-on-premise facility. She then took that brewing knowledge and worked her way across the country back when there were only roughly 25 female brewers in the United States. She brewed in Boulder and Denver before landing a brewing job at the original Magnolia Pub and Brewery in San Francisco. She also brewed at Pyramid, Ross Valley, and Drake's before anyone knew what it was in the East Bay before opening the Good Hop Bar and Bottle Shop in Oakland in 2014. The Good Hop is the first of a tiered business plan where her next step will be to open multiple TGH, TGH sites as well as her own brewery and get those brewing boots back on. She brings a unique perspective to the industry with her knowledge both on the brewing side and the publican side with an ever-growing resume of judging engagements and speaking about the history and ever-changing growth in this awesome industry. She's often seen with a huge smile on her face and invites you to come into the Good Hop and get in touch with your inner beer geek. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, thanks, Melissa, for, uh, for hanging out with me today. Of course. Thank you for asking me. I'm excited to do this. So the first thing I have to ask you is, what are you drinking? Oh, I am drinking, um, it's pouring in Oakland right now. Um, so I am drinking a beer from Flatland Brewing Company out of Elk Grove, California called Flannel Shirt. And it is a mocha stout with Tahitian vanilla. Oh, that's fantastic. It's kind of weird because I'm up here on the North Oregon coast and it's like the sunniest day we've had all year. And I'm drinking um, a, a a pilsner from Oakland. <laughs> as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, you're drinking Geisterfaust. Yes, that beer is great. <laughs> it's a perfect, uh, yeah, perfect interviewing beer, I think. So I've got a few, um, you know, I've, I've got some ideas of where this conversation might go. It's good to see you. It's been a while. Yeah, definitely. Um, back, just kind of based on your background here, um, you know, you traveled across the country many years ago as uh, a young queer woman in beer. Uh, what was, and you know, things have changed a lot in the beer industry in terms of the makeup of, you know, who is and, and is not a brewer. Um, 
What was that like? Did you feel that you faced any barriers? Did you did you feel safe? Did you find uh, you know spaces that you loved or did not love along the way? Yeah, you know, like so I started in Philly and it was a brew on premise, so basically home brewing in somebody else's space. Um, and they ran their business poorly and had to close it. And by then I was hooked. I was like, oh my God, this is the best thing. This is the best thing I've ever done in my whole life. This is my career. So at the time in 96, <clears throat> I date myself, um, <laughs> all of the cool, all of the cool brewing, all of the innovation was coming from California. So I was like, all right, I got to go. I got to go to California. So I left Philly. I hit 42 breweries between Philly and Colorado because that's what you do when you're a new brewer and you're like, I'm going to go to everything. And I drew pictures and maps and it was insane. Um, but I get to Colorado and I go to a random brewery and they were like, oh, um, are you going to go see Deb, the um, brewer at Rock Bottom? And I was like, there's a female brewer, get out. I had been to 42 breweries and the only females I'd ever seen were bartenders, right? Which is not terrible. That's very common, but you know, I got brewery tours. I talked to brewers. I talked to cellar people. I talked to everyone I possibly could and nobody was female. Nobody was a woman. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I'm going to go see Deb. Like we were best friends. And I walked into the brewery and I was like, hey, is Deb here? And they were like, no, you here for the job? And I was like, yeah, what is it? I'm totally here. What are we doing? <laughs> um, so I interviewed with Deb and she ended up hiring me, which was amazing. Um, my education had just been being lucky enough to be under people who were who were good teachers and kind enough to teach me things. So um, she literally taught me physics physics equations on the side of sweating tanks about what was happening. Um, I never worked for a brewer that ever said, just go do that without saying, this is what's happening. This is why it's happening. This is why you have to do it. This is the chemical reaction that's happening. Um, and so I worked underneath her for a while, which was amazing. Um, but my heart was still being pulled to California. So I brewed around Colorado for a little bit and came out to California. I basically harassed slash convinced Dave McLean, the owner of Magnolia at the time, to hire me because he had four beers on tap, but he had 12 taps and I felt like maybe he could use some help. Um, and I just dug in, you know, he also was an amazing teacher for um, recipe control and design. Um, and I, I never, I never, I didn't really think about the aspect that I was the only female brewer until I had been told there was another one. Um but I did notice when I got to California, like I would be in rooms and it would just be me and a ton of dudes, you know, and I don't know, I'm, I can hang, I can hang with the best of them. So I didn't, I didn't experience a lot of like misogyny or, I mean, if I did, I didn't know it. It was never blatantly obvious to me. Um, and I just surrounded myself with a bunch of brewers who were really stoked to see me in the industry. So um, I know I've had a very different experience than most people. Um, and after coming back into the industry, when I opened the bar, I was shocked to see how many women were everywhere. It's seller, you know, seller work, um, designing labs, being the brewer, being that brewmaster, being, you know, all of every aspect, which I had never seen before, uh, that many women in it. Um, and then I started hearing stories about their experiences. And I was like, wow, mine, mine is not like that. And um, I'm happy to see that this industry is recognizing that for us, for women and working on change for that. I think that's super important. I'm I'm stoked that you had such a positive training experience. You know, a lot of young brewers, as it, it seems like that's how most of us learn. It's on the job and you never really know who's teaching you, you know, like where did they learn? Are they, are they teaching you somewhere? I remember being told that you shouldn't run caustic on, um, on a bright tank that still has CO2 in it because the chemical reaction would make the caustic not work. 
And, you know, now I realize, I mean, not because I learned this from experience, but I did find out later that no, it totally makes the tank implode. It's a, you know, it's an incredibly <laughs> dangerous chemical reaction that takes place. It's right. not that your tank's not going to get cleaned just because you're going to crush it. Right. Uh, I, you know what? I also, when I was at Magnolia, all of the tanks are in a cold room, all of them, fermenters, bright tanks, everything's in a cold box. Um, and at the time we weren't using sanitizer. He's like, you just, you run the caustic, you run hot water rinse, and then you just seal it up. And I was like, I think that's going to be a problem. Like we're going to, we're going to fuck some shit up. You know what? On my second day, I fucked some shit up. I imploded a tank and I was like, oh my God, it's my second day. I haven't even made enough money to pay for this tank. Like, what am I going to do? You know? And cause he said, just seal it up. And then the hot water, the hot air, the steam in there just sanitizes it. It was not the right that's not right. <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot to learn. It turns out brewing is like, you know, there's like chemistry and physics and fluid dynamics and engineering. And, you know, we don't just kind of shuffle around and uh, hold beers up to the light, admiring them. <laughs> I mean, we do that too, but you know, we definitely do that too. I have a degree in social work. Like that's great for the bar side of it. But as far as the chemistry and mathematics side, it, those two things do not go together. <laughs> So how long were you out of the brew house when you decided to step behind the bar and, and launch the good hop? Yeah. So, um, oddly I was out way too long, <laughs> way too long for my pleasure, but I was going through some stuff and I guess I kind of had to like, I had to get far enough away to see how awesome it is and how much I really wanted to be in it. So I was actually out for about four years, five years, unfortunately, in a job that I kept calling my temp job. <laughs> Everyone's like, where are you working? I'm, sure, I'm, sure like, that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, where are you working? Don't worry about it. It's a temp job. How long have you been there? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. And so when I decided to come back in, you know, at the time I left in 2008, at the time, you know, there was 20 brewers for every single position that existed. Um, and I had stepped out, unfortunately. And when I came, tried to get back in, there just, you know, there just wasn't anything available at the time. You know, um, there were fewer brewers at, at that time. And so I had gone to the small business class and I was like, it was a small business class. The first night they're like, you know, say, say your name and your business concept and how much money do you need to start? And everyone's like, I need, you know, a thousand dollars for a computer and I need maybe $5,000 for like an office rental space. And I was like, I need $1.5 million. <laughs> And uh, the teacher was like, cool, I'm going to see you after class. And I was like, man, this is the first day. <laughs> Shit. All right. <laughs> you know, and, and they talked me kind of basically talked me out of it. Like they were, I didn't, I didn't have any money of my own. So at the time I didn't have any money of my own and I didn't have any investors. So $1.5 million was going to be real hard to come by. <laughs> um, so initially it was supposed to be a brewery, but working with what I had and the bank situations in 2009, 2010, um, I I pivoted a little bit. I hate that word from COVID, but it's true. Oh yeah, we all we're bit. done with that. But I know it's, everyone it's, twitches you know. and has a PTSD response. Um, but so then I decided I, if I could, I could get enough money from the bank that it would just be me and the bank who owned this business. Um, I have no business partners. I have no investors. Um, and so that it would be for me. It would be mine, right? Eventually, after I could pay off the loan. Um, I didn't really want to own a bar, to be honest. I love bars. I love bars. I think they're amazing places to be. Um, and they're great communities, but yeah, I was a brewer, right? I, in my heart, I just wanted to keep brewing, but I also wanted to learn how to run a business. Cause I figured at some point I would open a brewery and 
and had too many friends open breweries who were brewers and didn't know what they were doing and got robbed blind or their friend, their best friend stole all the money or, you know, the, the board voted them off their own island because they weren't getting the money back fast enough. And so for me, this was an intentional pause from brewing to learn the business aspect side of it. I think that I think, I mean, hats off to you. It just sounds so smart, especially being the decider, you know, it's something that I, I, I know I'd never considered. I took some small business classes. I had a point where I was like, I'm going to be a, a business owner. And, you know, you think that you're going to have this thing and then you find out, you know, oh, unless you have all the money yourself, like you have to get investors. And that's kind of another job, you know, getting investors and keeping your investors happy and also being, you know, the small business owner and, you know, keeping your passion alive. It's, um, it's really tricky. So I, I admire folks that can make it work, but you know, yeah, you've it, certainly made the good hop work. Uh, what is it? Nine, nine years. It's crazy. Nine years in June. Yep. I can't believe it. Nine years in June and we made it through COVID. Yay. Which is um, basically like adding a decade. You might as well say it's 19 years. For real. Yeah. The, the COVID years count uh, uh, three times each. So yeah, that, that adds up. So you and I never worked together, uh, but I met you when somebody um, put me on to your, there was, uh, I don't remember the platform. I think it was Kickstarter for just like finishing touches on the bar. Like, okay, you can, you know, we'll put your name on a seat for this much. And I got my name, like, you know, spray painted by a local artist on the floor in front of, I think it was in front of stouts. And I was like, oh, that's fitting. Thank you. Um, you might still be there. Cause a lot of those names, <laughs> it turns out emblazoned forever on the floor doesn't happen when it's cement and it's porous science. Oh no. Um. <laughs> I think, I, I don't think I am there anymore. And it could be my fault too, because I've definitely shuffled in front of that cooler, <laughs> you know, quite, a, quite a bit, but it was awesome. And I remember when the good hop opens coming in and I was really intimidated by you because I thought you were so cool. Um, and it turns out like, you know, you are actually really cool, but not very scary. So thank you. <laughs> I'm honestly just a big teddy bear. <laughs> so we've, we've never, we do have a brewery in our history in common. We've never worked together, but we did brew a collab one year. Uh, you came down to Santa Cruz and brewed with me and I can't even for the life of me, I cannot remember what we made, but you had collab Palooza going on at the good hop. And I, I have a feeling that was like, you just miss brewing and you're like, I'm going to do a thing where I brew a beer with all these people. And then I can put it all on tap at my bar and I can totally. be in the house. <laughs> totally. I mean, that was part of the plan when I opened the bar was I was like, I'm still a brewer, damn it. You know, like I'm going to keep brewing with everybody and do a bunch of collabs. And turns out owning a, being the sole owner of a small business takes up a lot of time <laughs> and a brew day takes up a lot of time. Right. So it, it happened oh, less yeah. and less, but I think when we brewed, I was still like, I'm doing all the collabs. How many collabs can I do? Um, which as well, a lot of us probably know, collabs are more about hanging out with people who have knowledge, you know, sharing knowledge and having really cool conversations that you wouldn't just have with like a patron in a bar. Um, but it's not really like get super dirty and get in there. Although with you, it was, I, think I remember climbing, I think I climbed into one of the tanks, but you know, a lot of times, I like, like, hey, I, don't I hate this job. I'm going to have you do it today. Yeah, you get in there. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I mean, a lot of times I think I don't even touch a single thing. Right. Because mostly it's like, well, you know what hops look like. You know what grain looks like. Like, let's go have a beer over here and talk about things, you know. So um, unless unless you collab with an old co-brewer and then 
they start you off and then disappear for six hours and right. leave you in the group house, <laughs> which totally happened. It was super fun though. <laughs> I love, um, one of my favorite things about collabs is how it doesn't matter how many different sizes of systems you've worked on or different brew houses you've been in. Like there's always some weird little trick. Um, last week I, I brewed a collab, uh, at Grand Fur and the, one of the brewers there had, he put the sight glass inside of a pitcher before putting it in the caustic bucket. And Whitney was like, have you ever seen anyone do this? I was like, no, I haven't, but that's brilliant. You know, of course you should put the site, you know, then you right. throw clamps in there and it doesn't get chips. Just like all these weird little tricks. I'm like, you know, I'm, I consider myself a relatively intelligent person. I've never thought of that. Cool right. Trend. I mean, I think that's actually the part about collabs that's that I like. Right. And I'm, I'm more removed from the actual brewing side of it now, but you, yeah, you have weird conversations, right? All of a sudden you have this, some crazy conversation about a hop edition where you're like, I, you know, I've been doing this for so long. How is I, how have I never thought of that? Right. Or like, oh, you put it in a picture because it makes it safer or whatever. Right. Like it's, it's all the little nuances that we all figure out on our own while we're, you know, kicking and punching the dashboard. But then a new person comes <laughs> in and you're like, Hey, let me show you this cool thing I do. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? right>. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. I came up with that one. Right. Totally on my own. Yeah. yeah. So now, so you were lured to San Francisco by the, you know, the, the call of California. Uh, what a wonderful place to land. And now you're based in Oakland. What made you, uh, I mean, how did you, how, how did it become Oakland? Um, Most of the breweries were East Bay, but when you decided to open the good hop, what made you say like, this is my spot, Oakland for life. <laughs> um, I mean, so at the time I lived in San Francisco, right? I've been brewing, I brewed in San Francisco for a while with Magnolia. And then, you know, outside, I lived in San Francisco, but brewed at two other places outside of San Francisco. I'd taken this business class in San Francisco. My heart was there. I loved the bars there. I was going to do it there, right? I talked to City Beer, which is basically the same concept as us. I want to make sure I was far enough away from them. And San Francisco was having this like, basically shit the bed on small business moment where like, you know, it was eight months where I had gone into the planning department. I saw a different person every time. And every time the one person would go, well, you need to do this and find out if the landlord can blah, blah, blah. And I'd come back and be like, okay, so I answered this question. And some guy would be like, actually, that doesn't matter. That's not true. You need to know this, right? Like it was so frustrating. And they had a bunch of moratoriums on ABC licenses. Um, it was just frustrating. And then a friend of mine who happened they're in like the third tier of the Oakland running of the city, right? Like they, they were like the assistant to somebody who was the assistant to somebody else to, and knew this person in the planning department. And she was like, I don't know. I talked to him and he was like, that sounds hella cool. He'll tell her to come talk to me. And I was like, Oakland, man, I don't know. All right. Oakland. Sure. And we, I came over and I talked to him and he immediately was like, yep, this is great. Here's my email. Here's my email. Here's my phone number. Like start looking at locations. He's like, literally you can, email me or text me the address and I'll tell you yes or no. And within a week, I had more answers from him. Yes or no. I just had more answers from him than I had had in a year and a half in San Francisco's planning department. You know, so like Oakland showed that they wanted businesses here, that they wanted new things to come in and that they were really eager to help. Right. I felt like I had a person. I felt like I had a person in my pocket. Like I didn't have a, a partner. I didn't have anyone else making decisions with me, but I had a planning guy who was like, yeah, let's do this, you know, and that was pretty huge to be honest. Um, so in the 
quest to find a location, I ended up moving over here. I felt like if I were going to be a business owner in a city, I also needed to live in that city, right? Like I'm going to put a bunch of money into this city, hopefully, right? With business and taxes. Yeah. That I, I should get to enjoy some of the fruits of my labor and also be a part of it. Right. So when I first opened, I can't say how many people knew people I had never known before were like, you from here, you know, like Oakland's very proud of it's being a resident here. And so many people, you from here, you from here. And, you know, I'd be like, yes, I am right now. (laughs) You know, Um, But yeah, so I think to be honest, this, this wasn't my first idea. Um, but Oakland was trying to rebuild itself. You know, this was eight years ago and it was, I think it was seen that it needed cooler, like it was, it'd become a better city, right? In the late nineties, it was on the top five of everything, homicides, <laughs> crime, worst place to live, everything, right? And that was in the late nineties. Um, and it had slowly started building itself back up or up to be um, a city of notoriety. Um, I, was really- I recall National Geographic gave it, it was t- 2013, anywhere between 2012 and 2014, National Geographic um, called Oakland the top, and that was in the top five cities to visit in the United States. Yeah. And I was like, hell yeah. Yeah. Oakland. I think that was 2014 because we were like, yeah. damn, right on. You're like, National <laughs> Geographic says, check yeah. it out. Yeah. So, I mean, that's basically how I landed here. Like, I mean, I, I like this city. This city has a very, like, um, it's got a ton of history. You know, it's got history in every direction. And it's just very mom and pop. You don't see, well, you don't see chain stores here. You know, you don't see um, big, huge box stores. They are around. They're on the outskirts or in the neighboring towns, which feels like the same place. But um, if you drive down the basic streets of Oakland, it's all, you know, mom and pop spots. Um, and if it's a chain, it's got, they have three locations and they're all here, you know, like it's that kind of place. Like there are, I, I'm a big fan of Taco Bell and there's maybe like two in the city that I know of, right. Where you go to a different place and they're on like every fifth corner. Um, just as an example, like you just don't see a lot of those kind of places here because Oakland's kind of got this soul that runs itself. Hell yeah. I am. Um, I, I was down a few weeks ago and a friend asked me, um, where do you consider your home? And, you know, I kind of, you know, I'm from the central coast of California and moved around California quite a bit, but like I grew up, you know, my grandparents lived in Oakland. That was like where I went to visit my grandma. So, and I've got so many friends. I just feel like that's like, my heart is the East Bay. Um, I don't have family there anymore, but you know, you're, you're there, you're my family. So many friends kind of like stuck around there. I'm, I'm definitely on the, on the Oakland for life. I think it's a beautiful, it's a really wonderful, like, it's a pretty small city for having so much art and culture and. uh, Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, you know, and it's pride is, is different and stronger in different neighborhoods for different reasons, you know, which is cool. Um, I feel that you have, you know, the good hop is, it's beloved by uh, industry folks and local brewers. I, I mean, that's true. I feel that's true. I can say that as like a true statement. Do you feel yeah. that if you had, oh, if it were a brewery, like if you had a little three barrel system in the back and you were also making beer with that, do you think that would have impacted the the love that you receive from the industry folks and the local brewers? Or is it kind of like Melissa, the multi maven is, uh, <laughs> is here to curate your beers and uh, kind of tell you how it is. 
No, that's a super interesting question because, I mean, when I first opened, always from the beginning, I was like, fine, cool, I'm going to open this bar, but I'm a, I'm a brewer, damn it, right? Like, and I was like, within five years, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, take my knowledge of business ownership and leverage the bar for money and open a brewery. That's the goal. That's the goal. That's the goal. And um, it turns out I had a seven-year loan. So five years was totally not reasonable for that timeline. Um, but every, like people who knew me, people who've been following me from Mike Drake's days or from my Magnolia days, every, I mean, every time I'd see them, hey, most how's it going? When are you going to start brewing again? You know, and I'd just be like, yeah, okay. Just hold on a minute. I'm trying to learn, <laughs> learning some shit about business right now. Um, I, I honestly, I don't know. You know, I think, I mean, now like the goal is still hopefully to open a brewery, but like so much has changed, right? I've been out of brewing. I've been out of brew, like brewing my own, being a brewer at a brewery, um, as a job, as a paid job since 2000, late 2008. And so much has changed since then. Right. So, um, I don't know. I think what I've learned by having this bar is that I, I'm a great publican. Um, and I'm a, I think I'm a great champion of craft beer. And so if I were making, I mean, yeah, I would, would I love to have a three banger barrel system? That'd be awesome. But what if the beer is shit and people are like, oh man, I got to go to that bar, but her beer's there and I don't want to drink that beer. And I don't know, you know, like those. I'm going to hurt, I'm going to hurt Melissa's feelings because I'm always going to order the guest tab. Right. I'll be like, oh, can I just, can I just get that, that other brewery that I know, you know, like it's a, I think that's a weird that's a weird blend. And, and I don't, I don't, good or bad. I don't know if it's good or bad, but in the, in the craft industry, those two things don't necessarily always go together, right? Like you're either really good at brewing or you're at least solid enough that it sustains your business or you're the, on the other side of it, you're the retailer side of it, which is what the good hop is. Right. So we champion other people's beers. Um, and hopefully we champion brewers that maybe wouldn't have gotten as much attention if they didn't land at the good hop um or maybe you know a new brewery starts and we're like shit this beer is fucking good all right we're going to talk about them a lot we're going to get people to know about them you know and if if i were making my own beer at the same time that would be a really hard it would be a really hard pull right yeah that could be yeah those guys are pretty good and you know whatever here just try mine instead like right like it'd be weird (laughs) do you feel that you know, you've got a lot of people coming in and um, I was there one time and a salesperson was in kind of tasting you through some beers saying, hey, what, you know, these are the offerings that we have. This is what you could put in your cooler. This is what you could put on tap. So, you know, you're very involved in the, the beer industry as the publican. Do you do you feel that you have been able to kind of follow trends and, and stay up to snuff, uh, so to speak, in terms of being a brewer just by your relationship with your, um, I don't vendors isn't the right word with your, uh, customers. Um, a little bit, you know, I, if you'd asked me that question three years ago, I'd have been like, hell yeah, a hundred percent. Um, but uh, COVID definitely changed a bunch of things. Um, it became survival mode for all of us, right? It became survival mode for breweries and it became survival mode for small businesses and bars. Um, and I think that whereas before I would have tons of, I mean, on Mondays I would get upwards of 180 emails and it would be from distributors and then from individual reps and from different breweries and stuff like that. And I, I get about 40 now. So it's dropped off considerably. Um, and there's many reasons (laughs) that could be its own podcast about why, um, 
but I, I think it being farther and farther out of it, it's harder to stay um, up to snuff, as you said, right? Like, I mean, cryo and incognito and all, like all these things are coming out where it's like, wait, wait, hold on. What is that? And I'm not around it every day. So it's, it's a little bit more, it takes a little bit more, right. To make sure I get that information in so that I can give it to my staff so that when we put it up on a board and someone's like, what's that, <laughs> you know, that they actually know what they're talking about. Cause for me, that's super important. That's why we're there. Otherwise we'd just be a dive bar who goes, what do you want to drink? Right. Totally. Like Don't get a beer at Apple, get like, a beer at Applebee's, you know, like yeah, totally. whatever the Oakland equivalent is since yeah, I right? like, do you want, do you want a light beer or a dark beer? Just pick one. Right. So, right. um, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful that I have, there are some pretty amazing beer reps out here. And, um, I, I mean, I, I just met with one today and he doesn't have to taste me. I buy their beer on a very regular basis. Um, but he'll come in and be like, I'm like, you know, you don't have to do that. And he's like, no, he goes, I actually just want to sit down and talk to you about beer so we can just have a cool conversation. Um, and because of people like him, I feel like I can be like, yo, dude, what's this cryo bullshit? You know, like, what is this? What does it look like? Can you tell me all about it? Can you it's come in bullshit. at a staff tasting and talk about it? You know, so like, um, I'm grateful for that because I feel like where the collabs have kind of dropped off a little bit, I have very, very knowledgeable people selling beer who, can sell it to you on a, like a pretty base level. Like, Hey, this is the beer. It's a pale ale. It's got hops in it to, Hey, it has this and this and this in it. Let's talk about it. And let me tell you about when we put it in the, the kettle or when we dry hopped it. And this is why, and Oh my God, it's totally tastes like, you know, like it's cool to see the beer rep nerds nerd out. Right. Cause they can oh. sell at any level they need to. And I, I think and hope that when they come to the good hop, they get to sell at a different level. Well, as brewers, we know, like, you know, you can make the best product. It can be totally dazzling. Um, but if you don't have somebody that can, that can relay that product to the, to the customer, then it's really just any other product. So that's yeah, a, that's yep. huge. And it comes down to maybe the, just, just the beer name, or maybe it's the art on the can, or, you know, then it's something slightly different, you know? <laughs> like, it doesn't hurt that this is a delicious beer, but the Geister Faust uh, is covered in pink skulls, and yes. it makes me happy. And of it's, course, no, yeah, but yeah, and it's phenomenal, right? We I all mean, shop with our eyes. I mean, I do at least. Yeah, I mean, when I worked for Ross Valley, I was the I was the brewer. I was everything that had to do with the brewery. So even the, you know, I was the delivery person for our local accounts and sales reps, and being the sales rep. And I remember I walked into like some bottle shop or whatever, you know, and I. <laughs> this is going back, but I'm carrying two bombers, right? With our labels on it that I literally in hand put the label on. And, you know, I'm walking towards this guy and he just looks at me and he shakes his head. And he's like, like, nah. And I literally went, okay. And I just turned around and walked out. Cause I was like, it turns out I'm a brewer. I'm not a great, I'm not a sales rep. And that is a skill in and of itself, you know? <laughs> like, um, and I, I think this industry from when I was in it, when I was, you know, deep in the brewing side of it and up to 2008, it's changed so much. Like, like now I think breweries have in-house graphic design people all the time, you know, and it's not just your buddy who's like, yeah, I can, I think I can make a label for you off this weird label <laughs> program I found, you know, like it's, it's crazy. It's just so much different and it's got so many other facets and levels to it that it, it didn't have when I was when, back in my day. Naming, <laughs> naming know? beers is no longer a fun part of the job. It's like a, it's a horrible chore <laughs> because yeah. of all the copyrights out there. Yeah. Totally. Totally. I, I can't even, I mean, I was terrible at naming beers before when it <laughs> mattered even less. And now I'm like, 
my God, you know? Well, I've got a few other things that we're going to dive into here, but right now we're going to take a short break for this message and then come right back for more conversation with Melissa Myers of The Good Hop. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Discover the advantage of using new and unique ingredients like lemon myrtle or lapsang shushan. First Tea has been working with brewers to introduce distinctive, high-quality botanicals for innovative craft beers. They focus on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firstea.com. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. All right. So, Melissa Myers, I mean, it's obvious we just took a, a, a very brief break. Um, we're talking about kind of Oakland culture and, um, you know, you're an East Bay bar, bar owner. How has uh, the neighborhood culture uh, embraced your business? How has your business kind of embraced that uh, that Oakland culture? You're on Telegraph Ave. I know that uh, it can be somewhat of a um, mixed bag. Yeah, I, you know it's it's hard. I when I was looking for a location, I, I looked for a location for three years, and the entire time this location was available. And I wanted something different, right? I had a different concept. I wanted a different facade. I wanted a different storefront. And after three years, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, let's go here. This neighborhood is, um, it seemed like it was up and coming. Um, it had a ton of amazing history in it that I really wanted to embrace with um, specifically not in the building that I'm in, but in that location, many buildings before. Um, had been jazz, had been a jazz club. The Black Panthers had owned a house right behind it. Um, so there's a ton of history. And I, I really found that that part of that neighborhood, um, which is technically called Kono, which is Koreatown in Northgate. Um, it's five blocks up from the Fox Theater and five blocks from the Paramount. So it's it's kind of, it, it sounds like on paper, it should be in the thick of things. Um, but it is, I thought it would be, I thought it would change. And to be honest, it, it didn't change very much. And then COVID rolled through town and changed all of our lives for the better or for the not. And in that neighborhood, it changed it for the not. So with having a bunch of businesses closed, there are fewer businesses shooing off street people um, and shooing off people who are doing nefarious things. Um, and so sadly, and unfortunately that neighborhood has, has actually gotten terrible. Um, I did not know that as a business bar owner that I would also basically become a social worker. I mean, I get it a little bit, right? You go to a bar and people talk to your bartender, you're kind of that side side therapist thing. But um, this is me sending, you know, letters to the city councils, talk going into all of these planning meetings. But that's not really where I want to be spending my time. But, you know, it's a fight to get them to pave our street. Um, it's a fight to get them to acknowledge that we were broken into the bar across the street's been broken into three times. A bar down the street's been broken into twice. Like 
um, it, it becomes a much bigger, if you want to be part of the community, which I, I do and I did, um, you can't just like sit in your little tiny spot and be like, well, this is where I am and everything outside is whatever it is, who cares? Like, it just doesn't work that way, right? So on the flip side of that, you know, I, I know all of the street people. They look out for my place. I literally watch them be like, yo, don't go in there. Don't fuck with her, um, which is nice. You know, it's nice to know that I've got, I've got a little help on the outside, you know, um, even though sometimes it's a little crazy because it's a little crazy down there. Um, the one thing that I would say, which is a bummer, and Oakland's having this problem everywhere, is that in, in a three-month time period, I got 23 emails from people who reached out and said, hey, I love your bar, but when we were there, we came out in our car and been broken into. Hey, I love your bar, but when I left, we were aggressively mugged. Hey, I love your bar, but it's just too hard to get in there with having people ask me for things, you know? And so it's it's a weird juxtaposition to have on the inside, we have this thing that I think is amazing. It has a huge community. Um, like you said, industry people like it. Um, we are definitely a neighborhood bar. Our, all of my regulars are not industry people. They're, they're people who walk there from their homes. Um, and then on the outside, it's this just constant fight with what's happening in Oakland, which is a greater, it's a greater situation than just our little bar, you know? Yeah. Um, and hopefully it'll change someday. <laughs> uh, I know you're, you have like very famous potholes, uh, broke ass Stuart just had a, had a funny article about, um, but there's a, it's like a, it's a wealth disparity. It's, it, it's like where where the dollars go to fix roads kind of depends on, you know, who's in it. And hundred percent, you know, and, and on our, our block, on our block, I mean, technically we're on Telegraph Ave, which is a, a major road in Oakland, but we're on a corner. And so 24th street um, on our block of 24th street, you know, we have a parking lot, we have um, a halfway house. We have what used to be a towing company that is apparently going through something that may or may not take 10 years. So there's no action happening there. And then behind that block is Tent City, right? So the city of Oakland does not care about our block or our corner or a, much about that neighborhood, which is unfortunate. Um, but I would say, oddly, in a weird, positive way, I've seen more police cars and fire trucks and ambulances in our neighborhood in the last month than I've probably seen in the last three years combined. Um, part of that's not because it's not great, but the other part of it is that it has gotten so bad that the city of Oakland now recognizes that it's a neighborhood that needs to have some attention paid to it. Um, and with that, I hope that it's better attention and not something that gets worse. Right. You know? So um, just this morning, or maybe it was yesterday morning, I read that um, Narcan was finally approved by the FDA as a life-saving antidote for overdose. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that you have, um, that you've done training with your staff and are involved with Fent Check. Yeah. Uh, do you mind just kind of talking about why you've chosen to invest, uh, invest in that type of community care? Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, despite the conversation we just had about my particular block and my corner, um, if I had this bar in a neighborhood that had none of those issues, I would still have Fentcheck and Narcan in it. Um, I don't think, like you said, it's it's a wealth disparity, right? Except that the reality is, is that wealthy people do drugs too. So um, I would have them no matter what. So Fentcheck is this amazing organization. Um, this woman got tired of seeing her friends and her clients um, die from fentanyl-laced drugs. And so 
she started campaigning to to get FenCheck, which is it's like Kleenex. You call Kleenex tissues Kleenex. It's basically a test strip that you can test your drugs before you put them in your body. Um, and she kind of started coming out to some of the bars, probably more of the seedier neighborhoods, and said, hey, will you put these in your bathrooms? Will you put these at your bars so people can test their drugs? And I, immediately I was like, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, this happened after COVID, after bars started opening. And when we announced, like, we threw it all over our social media, right? We have FenCheck, we have FenCheck. And all the bars in our neighborhood have FenCheck. Um, we had, it, it was interesting. Some of the comments were, I didn't think the Good Hop was that kind of place. But what kind of place do you think it is when there's a bathroom and a door that closes? You have no idea what happens in those bathrooms in any bar, in a steakhouse bar, in, you know, in anything, in any bar of any degree of wealth or disparity. Um, and for us, it was more of, I really want my customers to stay alive, right? It's after COVID. We already have fewer than we did before. I really like them. I'd like them to come back, <laughs> you know? And people were partying. They were coming out of COVID and they were like partying their asses off. Maybe people who had never done it before, right? And all of a sudden they're rolling with an eight ball and they're dying because they don't know what's happening, right? So for us, it was really important to put that offer out there without judgment. So all of our test strips are in the bathrooms and there are cups there so that you can test it in the privacy of the bathroom and do whatever you want with it after that. Um, but also with what came with FenCheck was um, the opportunity to have access to Narcan. Um, and Narcan is this amazing drug that if you use it on someone who does not have fentanyl in their system, nothing happens. It doesn't hurt them. It doesn't do anything. Um, I could literally shove it up my nose right now and nothing would happen. But if you're somebody who has fentanyl in your system, the Narcan will uh, basically deactivate it to a point um, and save your life. So we've always had a nice supply of it at the bar. We keep some of it out in public. If somebody wants to take it, they can. Um, I literally noticed yesterday we've had four boxes sitting out for the public and I'm down to one. And I was like, oh, well, all right then. And a lot of people I know will be like, oh yeah, I have a box in my, in my backpack. Most people in my neighborhood have a box on them at some point. Um, and we've actually used it twice for two people who've gone down outside the bar. Um, not customers in any way for us, but a guy across the street went down and I grabbed a box and ran out there. Um, another guy went down in front of our, on our sidewalk in front of our bar. Um, and somebody started yelling that this dude looked like he was dead. So we went out there again. Um, I, the stigma, like a lot of things comes with others, oh, drugs, it must be terrible. You're totally helping people use drugs. And the reality is I didn't know either one of those people and they both survived. And they both got to live another day. And that is where my judgment stops for that. Like, good for you. You get to live another day. If, it, if you don't the next time, then maybe you didn't learn something. And that's all on you too, you know? But today, this day, you got you got lucky. I'm a, I'm a big pro proponent of uh, shattering the, the stigma around those things. You know, I, you know, have... I have used drugs. I'm not really a drug user, but I, I'm interested in both of these programs because they're, I mean, we, you know, you don't need to be told that drugs are ubiquitous in the United States and that, and that fentanyl is, is an issue, um, you know, and it's terrifying. So yeah, I mean, the more, the more people that are educated and involved and, you know, in, the, the less pearl clutching there is and the more education that there is surrounding these programs, all it's going to do is save lives and make communities better. 
that's, yeah. I mean, you know, it should be like aspirin. I don't judge somebody for taking three Tylenol because they have a headache. You know, like, why would I judge somebody for testing something they're going to put in their body? Or why would I judge someone for having this amazing thing that saves lives? That's very handy. And oddly, you can't fuck it up, right? I can't, I can't, I'm, I don't have any degree in medical, but I can't kill anybody using Narcan on them. The, the worst thing I can do is nothing happens. The best thing I can do is I can save their life, which is kind of awesome. Yeah. So you've saved two people just by um, asking questions and getting involved and saying, hell yeah, I want that in my bar because, and again, they're not, they're not bar customers. And if they were whatever, but uh, you know, you've saved two lives in your community. Yeah. I mean, the the second one, the second one, I don't know if I saved his life or he was just taking a nap, but you know, (laughs) once he came to, and it was clear that we were on the phone with an ambulance, he was like, oh, no, no, no. And he literally got up and ran away. And I was like, all right, man, have a good day. (laughs) You're welcome. Happy Friday. You know, like TGIF, am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. You know, but the fact that it's, it's there and it's, it's not scary to use. Like that's the, that's the, if I had to like, if I had to like take a needle and put it in a jar and pull up the serum and put that in someone's arm, I'd be like, no, like, I don't know. Like, that's not my forte. I don't know how to do that. Or, you know, do the Pulp Fiction heart stab, you know, yeah, that, like how hard do level. I hit them? Right. Like, ugh. but this is designed. It's designed for anybody to use to save somebody. And that's pretty amazing. Well, I view you and the good hop as very community invested. Um, I I always feel like hanging out in the good hop is like being in the living room and you know the bar the bartenders are always just like, oh my God, all, all of the education and everything, you know, it's it's tangible. And I think especially post-COVID, that's one of the huge complaints for a lot of people is like, oh, you know, or maybe it's just coming from a specific generation of like, oh, customer service ain't ain't what it used to be. But it's kind of like uh kind of like family there. And um, you mentioned earlier in our chat about how when you opened the Good Hop, you didn't realize like traveling across the country and like, oh wait, Deb, there's another woman. And then opening the Good Hop and seeing how many women were brewing in the Bay Area at that time. I think I had just, you know, I had just kind of come onto the beer scene and there were a, a solid dozen of us. And I know now there's even more than that. And the Good Hop has really served as a hub for uh, women brewers and industry members kind of coming together and uh, drinking beers and uh, airing our airing our laundry. <laughs> as it finding, were. Airing grievances uh, and finding safe spaces. <laughs> airing grievances, yeah. Um, on multiple occasions, uh, I, I've been in for just a full packed house. Like, hey, I'm going to highlight women in the Bay Area beer industry. It was one of your first events in maybe like 2015, but it was packed. It was a displaying of photography. Um, oh, yeah. And, and it's like we couldn't even see the pictures. You know, they were, <laughs> were like so many people in there. It was like, hey, I want to see this picture. And it's like, I got nowhere to go. Sorry. Like, you know, yeah. maybe if I scoot to the left, you can, you know, catch the edge of the forklift in that one. But that's the best I can do. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was an amazing, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm queer. And so when I came out, it was a lot of like, well, when you watch TV, you don't, I don't see my family on TV, right? I don't see what my, my potential future could be on TV. Right. And so I think, you know, people would be like, well, how do you know if you could 
that you would be brewing. And, and I, I just fell into it. Right. But like, that's not, I didn't grow up going, I'm going to be a brewer, you know, like it's not, it's not probably most people don't unless their parents are home brewers. Right. Um, but I think that particular event, like this, this female photographer had decided to photograph women in the industry. Um, and it was at all levels, right. It was like forklift operators and warehouses up to brewers, or I think there was even like a VP or whatever, you know, like it was just, it was everything. And so I feel like the turnout on that was like just the sheer desire to see other people in your situation, right? To just be like, oh my God, look at all of us. Look at all of us doing all this stuff, you know, where you don't normally see that because it, it, we'd all kind of been doing our own thing in other places. And it wasn't, it wasn't common at that time to be like, where are all the women? I want to go <laughs> hang out with them, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, that event, I think, kicked off a pretty amazing, like, holy shit, there are a lot of us, you know, like, why don't we all keep hanging out? Like, let's check in with each other and I'm going to come hang out with you and support you. And maybe we'll, you know, peel off and make, you know, this old pink boots chapter, or we'll peel off and make this group or whatever, you know, and it was, it was, it was pretty awesome to just see that sheer volume of women in this industry. I think it speaks volumes too. If you provide the space, you know, if you, if you provide the space and you tell people you're invited I, I welcome you here. There's a huge lesson that, you know, the, I mean, as a, as a society to be learned, not, not just the beer industry, create space and extend the invitation and see what kind of community, you know, you can actually foster. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think, I mean, I was having this conversation with somebody, you know, and that in this industry, I think one of the things that drew me to it, right. When I first got into it is that I'd be talking to somebody about their recipe and they'd be like, oh, here, let me just write it down for you. And hi, do you want this shirt off my back too? Right. Like it was a very kind industry that didn't keep secrets. Cause it'd be like, well, you can brew this exact same recipe, but it's on your system with your water and your, you know, time concept of when you do your hopping times. And so it'll never be exactly the same. I mean, Budweiser totally. does it and props to them that science, but you know, I mean, back for, then for 10 years, all IPA was like two row Munich cascade and like, you know, Chinook or whatever. Yeah. It's yeah, all, right? all the same IPA. <laughs> totally. Totally. You know, and I, I, I feel like, yes, every industry has its issues with, you know, a, an unbalance of male to female. I mean, let's say most, not every, a lot of industries do. There's probably not a huge CPA industry of women who get together and talk like we do. Right. Like, and I, I think that that's, that's one of the, the wonderful things about this industry is that it does allow us to get together because by nature it already does that but that you can then go oh my god we're all this we're all these women in the industry let's yeah we're going to get together because that's already what we do right what's what we do as, as an industry and that we can peel it off and do it in different ways right we're starting to see more diversity we're starting to see um people of color getting into it you know and i think that it's all like that's it's it's all the little factions of it coming up together and then finding your people your people <laughs> hopefully your people are all the people but the people that you, you know, go, oh my God, look at how many there are, you know? Um, I mean, if I were anywhere else and somebody went, hey, there's like 20 brewers in here, I'd be like, really? Rad, you know? <laughs> like, if it was, you know, if I went to a CPA convention, I don't know why I keep saying that because tax season's coming, but, you know, if we went to a CPA convention and someone's like, hey, well, all the brewers raise their hand and there's 20 of us, I'd be like, this is dope. This is so cool, you know? Um, well, it yeah, honors I, the beverage also, you know, historically, it's like, it's a communal beverage. It brings people together. It's supposed to be multi-generational. It's supposed to be 
you know, a convivial aspect of community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I mean, that's nobody gets together over water, you know, I mean, some people do now it's okay. There's no stigma in that, but beer has always been that, right. There's always been pubs. That's been your, your living room. When you live in a small cabin, you go down to the pub, right. Or you live in a small house and every the whole community comes to the pub to hang out with each other and then go back to their homes and their lives. So it, it is like, that is the history of it, right. That it's supposed to be that way. We're all sharing and caring and hanging out with each other. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. And when you raise a glass and introduce yourself, amazing things can happen. Like, you know, I thought that you were too cool to be my friend. <laughs> There's so many, like all of all, so many people, um, so many people that are my friends. I'm just like, oh, she'll never want to hang out with me. And then I just talk to them and I'm like, oh my God, wait, we're like so compatible. We're going to be best friends. Right. I mean, I, I think, you know, that, and I, I'm going to say this is an industry thing, but you know, there's brewers that I, like when I was bringing their brewers that were higher up and I'd just be like, oh my God, you remember my name? Are you kidding me? You know, like, cause and totally. it's, it's more like a level of not because they're dicks or whatever, but it's more like the level of knowledge, right? It's like seeing your professor or whatever being like, oh, I can't, really, you know, I can't believe you remember me, you know, or like being the TA or whatever. Like I just, I definitely remember that there's certain brewers that I hold at a, a level and then they'll be like, hey, Melissa. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, I'm not, know worthy. My name. I'm not worthy. <laughs> totally. totally. And I, I mean, I think part of that aspect in this industry is that it probably is in other industries too, but this is the one we're in, you know, yeah. but like I basically learned through apprenticing. I mean, I, some jobs I got paid for and some jobs I didn't. Right. But like, it's, yes, you can go and get a degree in brewing and you can learn the science side of it. You know, I, I took the other side of it. So like that community and the show of value to you as a person, right. I'm going to take time to teach you this. I'm going to take time to share information with you, even if we're equal or higher, you know, if we're equal or at different levels, um, it's that time to show respect and share information. And that's fucking awesome, man. I'll drink to that. Hell yeah. You know, aside from having a perfectly curated beer list and uh, a wonderful publican, an amazing cooler, highly knowledgeable staff, the Good Hop is kind of known for one other thing. We are. And you know what? <laughs> I would like to say that it was a mistake that I painted my walls green. <laughs> But maybe it wasn't. It was, it was some foreshadowing of what was to come. <laughs> so for uh for I mean this is this is basically radio. So uh the, the good hop is has a very special tradition. Um somebody had a really incoherent Instagram post uh on your uh comment on your page that I quote all the time. No more bergs were had elsewhere, or more bergs <laughs> were never had elsewhere. So I just I love to say that. And after a night at the Good Hop, um it, this maybe says more about me than than anyone else. But when I was younger, at the end of the night, if when I took off my bra, like money would fall out. And then like later on, like in my later 20s, at the end of the night, it was earplugs because I just had you know earplugs tucked in. Uh, for yep. later retrieval and then but after a night at the good hop it's it's bird caps i so, find uh, have a lot of them in my pockets on a regular basis <laughs> well well shall we I, is there uh i i mean i 
is there anything else that you want to do you have a, a a message that you anything we missed no i mean you know what i i mean i know this is going out to the beer community right but like just keep drinking beer keep supporting your small bars you know support your breweries all the way but go even farther support your retail bars support your bottle shops they're the ones that are giving you the you know the diversity in beer and giving you the the different selections other than that just it's just beer just enjoy it people ask me all the time like oh i'm i'm drinking a i'm drinking a pbr i'm drinking a tecate does you must hate that and i'm like no you're drinking beer like that's cool is if is is it non-alcoholic beer? I, I mean, that's cool too. Like, yeah, you know what? There's some amazing non-alcoholic beers out there right now. Like, beers coming out. You know, I mean, I, I think in that it's still we're still crafting a, a beverage, and what that beverage brings us is community, right? So, like, yeah, we all have some opinions about some of the beverages versus other beverages. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like in the end, like, does it bring you community? Did you have a good time? Did you meet somebody cool? You know, like, great. Cheers. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, with that, we probably should do an underbird. I know. I'm like, cheers, cheers to that. I, I try to take the paper off. Sorry for that, for that noise. I, mean, I can't hand you this cap. <laughs> it's okay. I'll take I'll take my cap and I'll put it in my bra to be surprised with later. <laughs> <laughs> Just for old time's sake. <laughs> well. Later, when I see you, you can hand it back to me and I'll add it to our 72,000 caps that I have. Excellent. Well, I raised, I raised this tiny bottle of bird to you, Melissa, and uh, the good hop and the community that you fostered there because it's been very impactful and um, I appreciate you. Thank you. Can't wait to see yeah. the, what happens next. Here's spicy. Hey, spicy. And with that, so thank you again, Melissa. Wonderful to see you. And um, Melissa will be back on the next episode of this show as the host, having a conversation with a brewer of her choosing. That will be on the air in two weeks. So make sure that you tune in for that. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media to support journalism in the beer space and check out patreon.com allaboutbeer. I'm Kat Wiest. Thank you for listening to the Brewer to Brewer podcast. And thank you, Melissa, for hanging out with me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Cheers. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Discover the advantage of using new and unique ingredients like lemon myrtle or lapsang shushong. First Tea has been working with brewers to introduce distinctive, high-quality botanicals for innovative craft beers. They focus on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsttea.com.